right. Well, Father, we just thank you for tonight, and we thank you that uh, just this is a divine appointment on your calendar tonight. Father, I thank you that this, these meetings were your idea. I thank you that you've got a supernatural summer planned. <laughs> uh, just thank you, Lord, that you've got it filled up with all kinds of breakthrough and miracles and surprises, Father. We thank you that you are a God that likes to astound us with your goodness, with your favor, God. Thank you that you every good and perfect gift comes from you. Uh, it comes from above, and so we just thank you that we are... We're expecting, Father. We thank you that our hands are outstretched, that we're receivers, that you, we, you, are, you, have, you have taught us how to receive your goodness and how to spend our inheritance, God. We thank you that you are you're just doing something that, like I was talking about last week, Lord, that we have to perceive it because it's just, it's just too big for our natural minds. And so we just declare, Lord, that we have, we have eyes to see and ears to hear you. We have hearts that are enlarged and ready to receive your abundance, Father. So we just pray tonight that you would give us uh, divinely inspired imaginations, that you would give us utterances from your heart, that we would hear from you, that we would hear from heaven. And Holy Spirit, I just give you permission to be the teacher tonight, Father. You said that we have an unction from the Holy One, and we know all things. So I thank you, Lord, that I'm prepared because I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so we just give you permission, Holy Spirit, to do what you do best. Lead and guide us into all truth. Show us things to come. Just move as you want to move. Minister as you want to minister. And we are uh, just turning the service over to you, Lord. I just yield my mind, my my imagination, my thoughts to you, all of the members of my body, Lord, just as a living sacrifice. Thank you that that's my reasonable service, that that's, what, that's really what you want. <laughs> that my service to you is for you to use my body. And so we just let, give you permission to do that. And uh, we just give you glory in advance for everything you have to say and everything that you're going to do as a result of our time together tonight. Amen, amen. Awesome. So how many of you, uh, after last week, went home and did your homework? You remember we had homework. Rachel raised her hand. We're like, what homework? All right. Becky raised her hand. Okay, well, let's just, let's talk about what, what was, the, come up here, Rachel. I want to hear from you tonight. Come on up. I want to hear about your assignment. I want to hear about your homework. I want to hear about how Holy Spirit led you to do that. Yeah, come up and share. I might have kind of not did the homework exactly like she said, but I might have. I don't know. So last week, whenever she was saying to envision, before I even fully got that it was to envision our breakthrough for the summer, I saw, sorry, I'm like short of breath. Um, I saw um, myself coming up on this horse. It was like a continuation of another vision that the Lord's given me. And it's these, like, masses, like, millions and millions of people in this valley. I was up in this castle, like, on this ledge. And these people are coming, and they're all these, like, millions of people who've been set free of poverty. Just, and not just money poverty, the poverty mentality, sickness, disease, just poverty crap. So, um, anyway, so all these people were coming, and they were, like, really wealthy and just full of honor 
and they were coming and bearing gifts to me along with a bunch of people in the castle who are like, I'm somehow on their team or something. So anyway, so that's like what I saw. One of them gave me a box with these yellow stones in it, which I know is the Jasper stone. So that's what I've meditated on this week. I honestly didn't get anything more, and I don't know that I've gotten tons of <clears throat> excuse me, detailed revelation on exactly what it means, besides just that my husband and I know that we're called to eradicate poverty from the earth. Um, that's totally a part of our call. So I've just been really sitting with that and letting him just revealed to me, it was definitely about honor and about team and about um, just the call, basically. So I don't know how exactly that pertains to this summer. Maybe just besides my husband and I are starting a business. So I definitely think it's interrelated to how we're going to focus our business, um, like with our clients or the types of uh, platforms we're going to build, which is kind of what we do. So so awesome. All right. So who remembers what the homework assignment was? Okay. Anybody else remember what I asked you guys to do last week? Anybody? Right. It was to, to first, remember there was a kind of a whole process we started going through. And the first scripture, one of the first scriptures we went to was about how God was doing a new thing, Right. But there was another scripture that, that the Lord brought us into. And this is one he's really challenged me with before. We talked about it. Um, and let me, let's go back to that one. All right, hold on. I just have to bring it up in the right translation here. The, the scripture is Mark 10, 51. Uh, it's also in a couple of different gospels. It's also Luke 18, 41. But let's just go to Mark 10. Uh, we'll start. Um, let me just go to Mark. And we'll just go see where I want to start. All right. And this was the story of blind Bartimaeus, if you'll remember, and uh, how he just was relentless, you know, just yelling, 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 yelling. And uh, when he comes, you know, when he gets to Jesus, Jesus asks him a question. And this is the foundational question for the Supernatural Summer Series. So I, I want you to really... Hone in on this, because if it's going to be a supernatural summer, we really got to stay in the context of what God is speaking, okay? Also, just, just want to let you know, I mean, I'm, I'm completely spirit-led about all of this. I, I'm not coming in with an agenda. I'm not coming in with an outline. I'm coming in with a, a, a goal to let the Holy Spirit move us step by step by step by step. And part of that is just by me remaining even just totally dependent in these services, right? And so I want to go back to this. Is if we had to have like kind of a, a foundation scripture for the summer, this is where it begins, right? It's this scripture from Mark 11. I'm sorry, Mark 10. And I'm going to, I'm going to read it. The, the scripture's 51, okay? And it, it says, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, this is, this is better than a genie, isn't it? Like you rub the bottle and the genie pops out and you get three wishes, right? I mean, that seems like a pretty cool deal to have a genie pop out and, 
ask you, you know, for three wishes. And you'd have to think through the wishes and stuff. Well, the cool thing about the Lord is that he's not a genie. He's not living in a bottle, praise God. And matter of fact, he's not just asking us for three wishes, right? I mean, he's the lawful owner of all things. But here's the thing. You can't receive something if you don't know what you want. Yeah? How many of you have ever read a book? I I really recommend this book if you don't have this book or you've never read this book. And it's a book that I, my goodness, I go back to all the time. If you've been with me more than five seconds, this is not going to be a surprise to you. But it's a book by David Yonggi Cho. And it's a book called The Fourth Dimension. There's three volumes in 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 the series and... You know, it's not so much that you go and you get the book and you study the book, but it's a powerful book. You know, I, I feel like I've had that book in my library for years and years and years. And even the way I got to that book was supernatural. You know, I, I got a hold of that book in in a season where I had been experiencing serial miscarriages. Okay, and I had asked the Lord, how is the devil stealing my babies? All right, now that alone is a theological shift for some people, okay? Because, you know, we, we think a lot of times when we go through something, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a, you know, a financial struggle, a divorce, we think when we go through something, there's a, there's a common theological argument out there, and sometimes we don't even know that we latch onto it, But we believe that God is using trials and tribulations and circumstances that are negative to teach us something. You know? Uh, We think, and we, we do our darndest sometimes to make circumstances mean something. Like this is happening to me because. And then however you feel in that because is your interpretation of what it all means. All right, And so sometimes they think this is happening to me because God is trying to teach me something. Or sometimes we say this is happening to me because of my own stupidity. Or this is happening to me. You, you could just put, you could fill in the blank, right? And it's not that God is telling you that. It's that we try to judge things, right? And we see this all the time. I mean, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, you know, they would interpret things like Moses brought them out in the wilderness to kill them. Right? Or, you know, the disciples, you know, Jesus is sleeping in the storm and they're like, do you not care that we're perishing? You know, it just, so a lot of times we project things onto God because of the circumstances we go through. And we think God is a certain way because we're going through something. Right? I, I shared last week about, you know, praying with healing for, praying for healing with someone and you know, them sitting down with God and giving them three reasons why they needed to be healed right now. You know, and in that inherently, there is a belief underlying that says God is withholding healing from me. Now, they didn't say it that way, right? But there's, there's, un- there's underlying things sometimes that we have the circumstances mean in our lives. And truthfully, circumstances do not define you. Okay, numbers in your bank account do not define you. The fact that you're experiencing symptoms in your body does not define you. Do you know that that doesn't even mean you're sick? Shalise, that's crazy talk. Of course, if, I, if I've been diagnosed with a disease, I'm sick. 
Well, what does the Word of God say? Who does God say that you are in Christ? In Christ is what defines you. You are defined by the God that you live in. That's why when the Father said, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, the Father defined who Jesus was. And by the way, he didn't have to prove it to anybody, including the devil in the wilderness. Because if God said it, it was true, whether anybody believed it. Whether there was a single person that followed Jesus, whether they all left him, it did not define who he was. His Father defined him. And the Father defines you in every circumstance. And guess what? His definition of you, his opinion of you, does not fluctuate with yours. He is settled. He is settled on an eternal fact that you are accepted in the beloved, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, that you are righteous and holy and blameless before him. And by the way, he pronounced that sentence over all of us before we were ever even born. Before we ever even had a notion of what sin was, he declared us righteous. Now granted, at some point, do we need to get in agreement with that? And do we need to say, well, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and making me righteous to experience it? Absolutely. But he, he was crucified thousands of years before we came on the scene. And I don't know about you, but he didn't ask my opinion about it. He didn't tell me, do you think I should do this for you or do you think I should do this for anybody? He just flat out became the propitiation for our sins. He, became, he died once for all and he just took, the, he took the, the consequences of Adam's bad decision in himself. Amen? So the first thing, whatever you're needing, you know, whatever it is that you're going to decide you want this summer... You need to decide what you want. And Rachel took a great first step because she's been meditating on this vision. And she's like, you know, I don't really know how it applies to this summer. And I don't, because here's the thing. I said, I mentioned the fourth dimension book because one of the very first principles in this book, when you read the very first chapter of the book, okay, this, the, the whole book is written by this guy named David Yonyi Cho. And David Yonyi Cho is very, very poor, right? He's a Buddhist. He's, he's di- on his deathbed, actually. He's dying. And he had this Christian missionary come and visit him every day and begin to share the gospel with him. And long story short, I mean, he, he was in a really dire situation, right? And the first part of the book is about him getting healed, totally healed, right? But then it talks about how he becomes a missionary himself. But he's broke. I mean, just dead broke. I mean, he, and he's now walking, I don't know how many miles every day, just poor, a poor missionary. And he begins to complain to the Lord about it, you know. And the Lord asks him kind of the same question he asked blind Barnabas, what do you want? And the whole conversation is around, well, I want a bicycle and I want a desk. I mean, just some humble things and a chair. And the Lord comes back to him and says, well, what kind of bicycle? What kind of desk? What kind of chair? And, you know, again, in our religious mindsets, we, th- we want to say things like, you know, Lord, you know what kind of bike I need. You know what the best chair is for me. And we never want to get too full of ourselves, right? So we always want to keep it on the humble side. 
Just a humble desk. Just a humble bicycle. Right? But God really pressed the point. You know, what kind of desk do you want? And he's finally, he's like, well, I want one of those desk chairs that has wheels on it. And you can roll it around, you know. And I want an American bicycle. And I want a mahogany desk. Right? And, and you know, I'm paraphrasing it because I read the book when I was learning I needed to receive from God. I was experiencing serial miscarriages. And here's what I knew. I knew for sure that barrenness was under the curse. And I knew that Jesus had redeemed us from the curse. I knew those were true. I knew this was true. Barrenness is under the curse. And Jesus became the curse. So, why am I experiencing miscarriages? If this is true, right? What's going on? Now, so I, could have, I could have made it a conditional promise. And that kind of goes along with people, well, God doesn't heal everybody. Not everybody gets healed, so that means God doesn't heal everybody. But yet we look in the Gospels and Jesus healed them all. Everyone that Jesus came to him got healed. Every single person that came to Jesus got healed. Every single one. So that theology, you got to be so careful about forming your theology based on your experiences. And you've got to form your theology on the character of Jesus. You can't even form your theology in the Old Testament. You can't look at Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus and even the Psalms that we love to, love to recite. They're beautiful. I mean, it's David, just be naked. But you can't form your theology around who God is from the Old Covenant. It's a shadow. It's a type. Right? It's not the real thing. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says Jesus is the very imprint, the exact likeness of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So perfect theology is Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. So we have to be careful about the lens that we are projecting on ourselves, the way we're looking at ourselves based on what's going on, or even just our need for a breakthrough. The fact that we want something, the fact that we need something. I mean, religion doesn't even want you to want something. Religion twists it up so that even desiring something is sinful. Right? But Jesus asked the blind man, he asked him, what do you want? Now, he was a beggar, too, so he, you know, he, he obviously could have asked for whatever it was. And he said, Lord, and it seemed, it seemed like it'd be obvious, like Jesus should know what he wants. Just give me what you want me to have, Jesus. All right? It seems so humble. But righteousness is bold. Righteousness yells out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Can't be shut up. Even when the disciples are like, quiet him down, shush him up. And that boldness got Jesus' attention. Bring him to me. And then he says something super awesome. What do you want for me to do for you? Now this question needs to be answered by every single person that's coming to the Supernatural Summer series. Because how are you going to know if it was a Supernatural Summer? If you don't know what God's going to do for you. 
And how are we going to learn to live supernaturally and receive from God if we don't know what the heck we're receiving? And so like David Yanyi Cho, you need to be specific. Right? And so last week we talked about the fact that you can't receive something you can't see. And I'm just going to do a little refresher here because, you know, we, we, don't, we need to hear it again and again and again because we, don't, we aren't accustomed to living like this. We're accustomed to being a victim of our circumstances. And Mark eleven twenty four was another scripture I read, and it said, whatever things you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you will have it. Whatever you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive it, and you should have it. Well, you know what? How are you going to receive it if you don't know what you're asking for? You know, so it's important. I mean, I, I, the homework was to get clear. What are we believing God for for this summer? Specific. Okay, now that question is not always easy to answer. Right? I told you before, the first time God asked me, and he's been asking me this a long time. You know, he, you know, I thought there was a right and a wrong answer. Like, I thought I was going to be like Solomon and get, the, you know, like on a game show and get the right answer and win the prize. Because Solomon asked for wisdom, and he got wisdom and everything else. So, I, you know, I, I'm going to look for the right answer. But God said, if, it's a right, if there's a right answer, then it's not what you want. It's what you think you should want. And there's still some type of performance and something inherent in that question or your answer that still indicates that you're trying to earn something from God. And we cannot earn our inheritance. We cannot earn what Jesus already provided. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough for it. I mean, how good is good enough? Because, you know, anything that's not a faith is sin. And it's not just enough not to do the wrong stuff. You've got to know also how to do all the right stuff perfectly. I mean, the law is relentless. If you're going to follow it, you've got to follow it to the nth degree. So we have to get off the performance treadmill and give ourselves permission. I mean, this religious spirit is so entrenched in our thinking. I mean, it, is, it has taught us to feel bad about everything, to feel bad for wanting something, to feel bad for needing something. Like there's something wrong with us that we need a deliverer. Like there's something wrong with us that we need a savior, that we need a redeemer, that we need a God. See, self-righteousness is, is sneaky. And when we have our, our own opinion of ourselves based in our own self-righteousness, it's going to be extremely flaky. When we're doing the right things, we'll feel good. When we're doing the wrong things, we'll feel bad. And truthfully, if we can just get our righteousness settled that we are righteous because we're in Christ, that we're righteous because we've been baptized into Christ, that we're righteous because we were recreated in Christ, and that our righteousness is a gift... Our righteousness is the nature of God that we received through our union with him. And that he became our sin and we became righteous. That there was this divine exchange that happened on the cross when we were crucified with him. 
And he absorbed the curse. He became sin, right? And by, through his stripes, we were healed. Through what he accomplished, we were made whole. We were saved. We were sozoed. We were made whole through what Jesus accomplished. And this, this, that particular stance is what makes you bold because it's no longer about you. And let's say this. I believe one of the big reasons that God wants to do something for you this summer that what you, and it be what you want him to do. I believe, number one, he's coming after self-righteousness. He's coming after our tendency to have to try to be good enough for something or earn something or deserve something. So it's a religious thing he's after in our lives. He, want to, he wants to eradicate out of that out of our relationship with him. And he wants us to just receive it because it's ours. It's already ours. It's like him taking you into the storehouse of heaven where there's every single thing you could ever want, ever need, ever desire. I mean, the right at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So pleasures forevermore. I don't know what all that looks like, but I think it's bigger than any of us can imagine what, it, what is at the Father's right hand. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And, and he's saying it all belongs to you. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. But yet we still operate, for the most part, like it's not ours. Like we're separate from the Lord. We're separated from Him. And we're trying, we're acting like orphans. Like slaves in the Father's house. Rather than sons and heirs and owners. We're owners in the Father's house. We're joint heirs with Jesus. The Father's handed all things over to the Son. And guess where we live and move and have our being? In Christ. Healing belongs to you because there is no such thing as sickness in him. Right? So there's nothing that you can answer that question with that frankly is going to phase God at all. I don't think... See, the, the, the limitation is not on God's end. The limitation is on our, our end. And in our ability to just receive. And knowing how to receive. I mean, you know, I, I can remember years, you know, you, you, trying to receive. Have somebody pray for you and you don't, you don't know how to receive. Like you're just, you just say, I'm re- I receive it or I'm receiving it. You know, <laughs> we don't know how really. You know, and that's what the Lord was teaching David Yongi Cho was how to receive. And Mark eleven twenty four really tells you how to receive. It's, it, it tells you how to receive. I'm going to look at it in a different version because I don't really like that, that particular. I'm going to get it real simple. NIV. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So the key, if there's a key to receiving from God... It's believing that you've received it. 
You, you just have to believe that you've received it. See, the thing about the kingdom is that it doesn't function on our natural senses. It's not a function of what we see with our physical eyes or what we hear with our physical ears or what we can touch with our physical senses. It's a spiritual reality. It's a kingdom, an invisible kingdom. And our inheritance is invisible until you receive it. You're receiving it is what makes it visible. Now, the first place it's going to be visible is where? Where's the first place you're going to see it? In your imagination. That's where you're going to receive it. You're going to receive it in your imagination because, see, you see it. How many of you know you can receive it in your imagination? You can receive it. You can have it right now. You can see yourself in possession of it. And let me tell you, how real that thing feels when you, when you see it in your imagination kind of tells you the measure of unbelief you're operating with, doesn't it? Right? And so receiving it is first of all seeing it, but you've got to figure out what you're seeing. How many of you know you can't see something vaguely? I mean, you, you, you need to see, you've you got to receive it. And then it's yours. So deciding what you want. How many people have actually made the decision? This is what I want for this summer. Okay. If not, that's, that's, that's got to be the homework. We got to get specific. Now it's okay to pray through that and try to use wisdom. But then, you know, the thing is too, this isn't the only thing you get to receive. After you receive this, guess what? You know, you can receive something else. And after you receive that, you can receive something else. I mean, we are designed to be people who are manifesting heaven on the earth. We are designed to release the kingdom. And our imagination is like the womb of the spirit. It takes things from the invisible realm and makes them visible. Now, I know we think, gosh, it's just the, Shalise, this imagination thing. I'm telling you, that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. He said, first of all, Lord, grant unto them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And that, you know, enlighten the eyes of their understanding. That they might know the hope of their calling. And those enlightened eyes are what, what give you hope. <laughs> your enlightened eyes give you hope. They, they tell you what's possible. I mean, Jesus said all things are possible if you can believe. So what's the issue? What we believe. And that's why this particular answer is exactly what God showed me when I said, how is the devil stealing my babies? You know, I had more faith in having a miscarriage than I did in carrying a baby full term. And many times we have more faith in a future that looks like our past than we have in the future that God is declaring over us. And we, I mean, we have to take responsibility for that to a degree, right? I mean, I had to own my unbelief. I had to own it. I had to be like, you know, I mean, I had to own fear. I had to own, yes, I, I, my, my past has made me afraid. My experiences 
have caused me to trust more in this than that. And I said, Holy Spirit, help my unbelief. How many of you know that's a good prayer? Lord, help my unbelief. Now, you talk, girl. I'm from a, I'm from a black church. They always talk. I, these white, white churches, I always get, I get nervous and everybody's so quiet. Right? No, Lord, help my unbelief. It's a powerful prayer because it really does say, how is the devil stealing from me? And if we want to experience all of the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus, well, we're going to have to see some good things in us in Christ Jesus. And we're going to have to see a future that is not the same as our past. Right? All right. So I want everybody in a very clear statement, if you brought paper today or borrow some from a neighbor's, I want you to answer the question. Father, when he says, what do you want for me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? This summer. Right now. And make it as just as clear as you can. Something very specific. Have you ever specific? Very specific. Have you ever heard of smart goals? Something they teach us in business, you know, that a SMART goal, it's an acronym, SMART, right? S is specific. Make your goal specific, you know? M stands for measurable, right? A is for, I think it's for attainable. Let me look it up. Hold on. Let's see if we can make it. A is for achievable, attainable, Okay. I always heard R was reasonable. Relevant, it says here, realistic. And the T is for time limited. So it's got a time frame on it. So in the the realm of setting natural goals, you know, I'm going to lose 40 pounds in the next two months, right? It's specific, it's measurable, it's attainable. It's relevant, um, you know, and it's time-based. Okay? Well, God has given us the time piece, summer. Right? Specific is what I'm talking about here. Measurable is what I'm talking about here. You're going to know you have it or you don't. It's not vague. It puts God on the line here. It puts our belief on the line here. This is something either we're going to receive or we're not. And we're not going to blame God if we don't. But we're going we're to learn how to receive. We're going to learn how to live supernaturally. Attainable. Well, it's all attainable. It's God. And it's all reasonable because it's God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So I'm asking us to create... Create a place for God to move. You know, the fourth dimension book goes on as you kind of, you know, go through the book. And after David Yonyi Cho really caught on to this principle, he started realizing that the realm of the imagination is what gives the Holy Spirit the substance he needs to move. Okay, it's like 
he goes about manifesting what it is that we see. And so he began to use this principle in all kinds of situations. I mean, there's stories, I mean, unbelievable stories in this book. You know, one was about a guy who got ran over, I think, by a taxi cab or something. I'm telling you, it was hopeless, right? He's in the emergency room. He's on the operating table. The doctors don't even know where to begin. I mean, this dude is a mess. Like, it's hopeless. And it was one of his parishioners, so he comes in to pray for the guy, right? And the dude is totally unconscious, I mean, he's dead, pretty much. And he begins to pray like this. Holy Spirit, I know you're here. And we know that you need something from the fourth dimension to to pray through. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, Holy Spirit, help this man wake up so he can agree with me. And pretty soon the guy wakes up for just a second and he says, I want you to see yourself going home to your house, seeing your wife and your kids again said he was only awake for 30 seconds. Can you do that? And the guy couldn't even talk, so he was just like, you know, like this. Then he goes back under. And then David Yongichio gets in agreement with him and says, okay, Holy Spirit, we see this. And he begins to pray this prayer of this agreement of what they both saw. And he said the whole room started to heat up and get hot. And the glory of God just came in this room. Well, you can imagine the story. Well, guess what the guy did? He got totally healed. He went home and saw his kids and his wife. There's stories in there about the spinster who had, you know, wanted to get married, but she was old. She was the old lady in the church. And so she comes to pastor and says, I want you to agree with me for a husband. He says, well, what kind of husband do you want? You know, and she's like, well, well, you know, God, whatever God has for me. He said, no, 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 that's not the way God works. You come back to me with a list of the things you want in a husband, and I'll agree with you. So she came with a list of 10 or 12 things. She wanted him to be a musician and tall. I don't remember the other things, but he took the list and, you know, they began to pray into that. Father, we thank you that we've received a husband that's tall and musically gifted. And I don't remember all the other things on the list, but they received it. Well, not too long after that, a young musician comes into town. Very gifted musician. And the funny, the story goes that it was kind of funny because this young musician didn't have eyes for anybody but the old spinster. Right? I mean, it was the most unlikely match in the crew, but guess what happened? They got married. Another example in the book, I'm just kind of sharing some of the stuff out of the book today, was uh, a child. Uh, a lady had a, a daughter who was a drug addict and a prostitute on the streets. And he came in there and, you know, the lady starts telling him, my daughter, you know, she's nothing but a prostitute. She's out on drugs. Would you just pray? Da, da, da. And David Yonichev says, I'm not praying for your daughter. And, you know, kind of got her attention. Well, what do you mean? Well, until you can see your daughter the way God sees your daughter, we're not going to pray. So you go home. You go see your daughter the way God sees your daughter. You come back and we'll pray. So she goes home, sure enough, and begins to pray into that. And how do you know God saw her? She had a vision. Of the, she had a vision, I think it was of the cross. And she began to see her daughter through the cross, through the blood covering her and through what Jesus had done for her and began to see her as a blood-washed, sinless child of God. She comes back and tells David Yonyi Cho about it and they said, okay, now we can pray. You've got your imagination lined up with the will of God. They began to pray about for this daughter, prayed for the daughter, prayed for the daughter. And you know, the, the temptation is always between the time you've received it and the time you have it. 
That's where the enemy's going to come. He's going to try to tell you, you know, get you to stop imagining it. Try to get your imagination back in agreement. That's why the word says take every vain and wicked imagination, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You make your thoughts conform to the word of God. You make your imaginations conform to that thing. And is it a battle? Sure, because our minds are under attack. But they prayed for that thing, and he said, I think it was like no less than a few days. The daughter comes home, knocking on the mo- her mom's house, totally repents, totally ready to come back to the Lord, and bottom line is, totally gets miraculously saved, and next thing you know, she's serving God and in ministry and all this other stuff. Right? Now, when I got a hold of this book, you have to realize I... <laughs> I didn't have a track record with this. But I knew it was an answer to prayer. I knew this was a God-breathed word to help me receive his promise. And honestly, when you start to frame the context of your life around these principles, you can see as you pray with people, you can see as you minister with people where the problem lies. You can see why they're not receiving from God. Right? And it's not to condemn, it's just that you know that they've got it, there's an image inside of them, there's a wrong theology inside of them, there's something that's hindering their ability to receive from God. Do, do, right? Yeah. And so this is a, this, but I can't tell you, obviously I've got two girls that run around here and one made cookies for us tonight. <laughs> so we received. But that's not the only thing we've received. We've received things. I mean, I could stand up here for hours and tell you the things that we've received. And I can tell you, every time I'm not receiving, the Lord never gives me another, another answer. Jesus, over and over and over again in the gospel said, it's according to your faith. As you have believed, be it unto you. And these people decided all kinds of ways it would happen. The centurion decided, you're not worthy to come under my roof, so just speak the word, Jesus. Jairus said, come to my house. Right? I mean, they, the woman with the issue of blood said, let me, just touch his, let me just touch the hem. We think God's in control. I'm telling you, that thing needs to be uprooted out of your theological foundation. God is not interested in puppets. He is not a control freak. He is not up in the sky dictating our every thought and our every decision. We are sons. We are partners in the Father's business. He has created us for freedom, Jesus came. And we are free. We are so free, we are free to reject Him. He doesn't force himself on anybody. He says the goodness, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's when you get to know him as good. Well, that's what's attractive. The reason the sinners ran to Jesus is because he was good. He was a safe place. He was a non-judgmental place where they could just receive unconditional acceptance. And begin to heal from all the things that they believed about themselves. And all the things that society had put on them. And Jesus, is a, he's a redefiner. He redefines us. When you come to him in your worst situation, he's never going to call you what, he see, what you call you. Or what other calls you. 
He's always going to call you how you are in him. He's always going to call you up. He's always going to call things that be not as though they are. He's not going to call you a drug addict. He may call you a deliverer. But he's not going to call you a drug addict. He's not going to call you a drunk. He's not going to call you a whore. He's not going to call you whatever, irresponsible. He's not going to call you these things. And it doesn't mean that maybe you're not acting that way. It's just God is a God that prophesies over us. He's a God that, he's a creative God. His words create. He speaks out of what his desire is. He didn't say, look how dark it is. He said, let there be light. He speaks contrary to the circumstances, to the situation. Oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. I mean, just, what do you mean she's not dead? It's like he's out of touch with reality. Which reality? I mean, which reality is God, God, how does he see you? He doesn't see you in natural reality. I mean, he called Abraham the father of a multitude. He called Gideon a mighty man of valor. (laughs) He's constantly calling you who you really are. And so this concept of the imagination, while it may seem so simple, that it seems silly or just seems like that just doesn't, that seems new agey or that seems this or seems that. I mean, who created our imaginations? And why do we have them? Maybe it's so that we could believe. Maybe it's so that we could see the impossible. I was saying last week, you know, we can imagine ourselves going out in the parking lot and flying around the city. There are no limitations. That's the one area in our life where they're like, the limitations get removed. And we can actually think like God. You know, but then we'd say, oh, let's just make believe. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's making you believe. That's exactly what it is. And what we imagine is what we believe. So if we want to transform something, we've got to see something different. You've got to see yourself healed when you're hurting the worst. I tell you, you get a negative report. I mean, the first thing, I mean, you know, my own mother died of pancreatic cancer, so I understand it's a battle. I understand that, that, that we don't win them all. I, I get it, but I'm not going to change my theology because she died. And I'm not going to think that God puts cancer on people or that he doesn't heal everybody. Or I'm not going to form a theology around my or someone else's unbelief. People don't like that. People, well, at least you're just putting it back on the other people. Well, Jesus put it back on other people. I mean, when those disciples couldn't cast out the, uh, the demoniac's son, that, that deaf, dumb and deaf spirit, you know what he said? You evil and perverse generation. How long must I suffer you? Well, we don't like that. We don't want to be, an, you, know, you know, we just want to be helpless. We want to be victims. We want God to do everything. The bottom line is he has already done everything. You know, if people don't like it when you say God's done everything he's ever going to do about your healing. Well, they don't like that. It's good news. It's good news, actually. It's good news. It's good news. 
it, to me, that's way better news than God's up there cherry-picking who gets healed. I mean, how do you deal with a God like that? How do you know when you're doing the right thing or the not the right thing? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know. You just, you're just at the mercy of some set of something. It's a function of what we believe. I mean, that's why I formed the, the company and the ministry. It's called Rethink. Why? Because we need to think different. We need to upgrade our thinking to the mind of Christ and receive what belongs to us in Christ. And the devil's subtle. He's subtle. His main strategy is to convince you you're, that you don't have something you already have. He told Eve she needed wisdom. She already had wisdom. He's constantly trying to get us to believe that we don't have something we already own. We own healing. Sickness is illegal. Poverty is illegal. Fussing is illegal. Right? All these things are illegal. They're illegal. Why are they illegal? Because Jesus defeated them. But we have a theology that allows them. We have a belief system that allows that. That's just what we go through. That's just the way it is. This is just my family's medical history. This is just my, you know, we have all kinds of passive reasons for why things are the way they are. And so stepping out of that victim mentality, because we can't be a victim and be victorious at the same time. You can't have authority and be a victim at the same time. Because authority means that you have a say. And you've been given his name, right? Peter and John, silver and gold I have none, but such as I have, I give to you. Such as I have. What did they have? They had healing. They had healing to give. Now, it wasn't their healing. I mean, it wasn't their power. It wasn't their name. But they were given a name. And with that name is the name above every name. So, see, the thing is, is seeing it is, is, is taking, it's taking, to me, it's taking ownership. It's taking ownership of what Jesus paid an unbelievable price for you to have. There's nothing arrogant about it. It's actually the most glorious thing you can do to honor Jesus is to actually use what he paid with his own blood to buy you. And really, when we, when we go through that process of receiving it and seeing it in our imagination, you know, all kinds of mess comes up in our heads. I mean, I, I'm doing this just like everybody else. You know, when you start to receive something that's a new level for you, a new level of health or a new level of relational, you know, uh, peace or a, a breakthrough in an addiction or, or breakthrough over a place of demonic oppression or, or breakthrough in, uh, you know, any area, health, finance, you name it. Whenever there's a new level, you know, there is unbelief there. Otherwise, you already have it. We'd already have it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what we already have, what we believe right now. 
Man, that is like, oh, that is depressing. Right? You look around, you're just like, oh, God, I, I, believe, I believe for this. <laughs> well, guess what? You can believe for something else. So don't shrink back. I mean, I remember, oh, what a battle it was for my babies. We're talking dreams. We're talking demonic imaginations, all kinds of mess. I mean, it just felt like witchcraft. I mean, just mind control, just bam, 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 you know, just fighting, fighting, fighting. And, you know, I mean, I had to get a grab, a vision. <laughs> I grabbed a scripture, and I've been redeemed from the curse, and, you know, I would just visualize. And I know you guys have heard this story before, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's still good to hear it, Right? I mean, I'd go to the garden and I'd see myself nine months pregnant, just pregnant as a big house, you know, walking around in the garden with Jesus, living above the curse. No barrenness in heaven. No barrenness in the garden. He'd feed me grapes. We'd have picnics. I mean, that thing turned into a full motion picture because I had to live there. I had to live in a place. The word says to be heavenly minded. You know, I have a, I have a really good friend who's just this, prophet who always kind of jokes around that, you know, she, you know how you hear people say, well, you're just so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. That is the biggest crock of baloney I have ever heard. People say that. It's a saying. Well, you're so spiritually minded. Well, you're no earthly good. Well, if you're really spiritually minded, that's the only way to do earthly good. I mean, the truth is we just aren't maybe spiritually minded enough. I mean, Jesus was spiritually minded. He didn't, there's not a darn, I mean, we try to make practical things out of the things Jesus did. We make practical sermons out of Jesus' things. You know, 24 leadership lessons we can get from the life of Jesus. We get principles out of Jesus' teaching. So we read, and I'm not saying that there's not principles in there. Let's be clear, Jesus wasn't living a, lot, a principle-based life. He was living a life in union with the Father. Doing what the Father said to do. Only saying what the Father... He was totally spiritually minded. He was consumed with what the Father was doing. He said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. He said his very food was to do the will of the Father. That is not... That sounds so spiritually minded to me. That sounds like no earthly good. That doesn't sound like any earthly good. Well, my will is just to do the will of the Father. You know, people would just... I mean, those people that want you to do earthly good like that, they would not like you saying that. I'm just going to do what I see the Father doing. Well, how's that working for you? Well, because the problem is, is that we, we say it a lot of times, we don't actually live it. And I'm telling you, that is normal Christianity. The Word says that those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It's not a place we visit. It's not a, something that we do because we prayed on a special prayer retreat and we heard from God. Now, this is a moment-by-moment moment practicing the presence of God, living from a place of union, and asking Papa, what's next? Right? I mean, that scripture from Romans 8, I was reading it again today, and I can't get it enough right now. It's from the Message, Ver uh, message Bible. It's Romans 8, 15. Oh, I love this scripture. And, you know, because I'm, I'm I, sometimes I get something, you know, and it's like you just want the Lord to ground it in the word and, you know, help me, Lord. I, I can hear what you're saying, but, you know, I'm a word person, so I need the word, and I need you to unpack it for me in the word, which is great. He always does for me. But um, this scripture and the message is so good. Um, let me just read it again. It's just a picture of how we're supposed to live. Get 
to come up. It says this, this resurrection life you received from God. Now that even right there, boy, we could meditate on that for a year. The resurrection life you received from God. What the heck is a resurrection life? Right? It says here, it's not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who, we, who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us. Here's what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. You know, and so, you know, it's not that, even just this idea of imagination, I mean, you could make that into a principle, but I'm not saying make it into a principle. I mean, it's a conversation, When the blind man came to Jesus, this was a conversation. What do you want me to do for you, Lord, that I might receive my sight? You know, I mean, it's it's a conversation. You know, when I was believing God for my babies and all this warfare was going on, I wasn't doing this independent from Holy Spirit. It was with Holy Spirit. He was undoing unbelief. He was renewing my mind. He was transforming my thinking which was transforming my life and my circumstances. I mean, I remember having this dream that was so incredible, a horrible nightmare. And I, I woke up so incredibly terrified and knew, I mean, I just knew I was not going to be able to shake this fear. This thing was so real. I mean, it was just like it was real, like I just lived it. You know, that's why the devil gets our dreams sometimes because he knows our body doesn't know the difference. So it was just like I experienced what I dreamed. And I remember I was in, we were celebrating our anniversary. It was in a hotel room. And I ran out into the, the little seating area of this hotel room. And I was just like, oh, gosh, Holy Spirit, I, you're going to have to help me shake this. I, I, I mean, I knew it was going to take something supernatural. And sure enough, I mean, he gave me a, just like a poo. I don't even remember. It had something to do with David and Goliath. I don't even remember the whole thing now. But, it, it, I mean, it literally eradicated it to the point that I couldn't remember the dream. Because I remember trying to remember the dream. And the Holy Spirit said, oh, no, 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 no. I just caused you to supernaturally forget that thing. Don't try to remember it. I just took that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we don't do it independent from God or independent from the Holy Spirit. We ask Holy Spirit to help us. He's the one that's enlightening the eyes of our understanding. He's the one. So it's, right? It's a conversation. It's a it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a move of God in our lives. And if you ask, you know, it's okay to ask God what does he want. But most of the time, let's just be prepared that when you ask God what he wants, it's going to be a heck of a lot bigger than what you were thinking about asking. You know, God's not, I mean, you say, I just want to be healed. Well, he's going to be like, I want you to have a worldwide healing ministry and I want you to raise people from the dead. And I want you, I mean, like he's just going to take it to the nth degree. I've never asked God that question and it not be something, you know, I'm just trying to believe for a little bit of, I'm just trying to believe for a new thyroid, Jesus. Right? I mean, so take comfort in the fact that it's better if he asks us. (laughs) 
it's not that we bring God down to our imagination. It's just that, you know, it, it, it's fine to ask him. Okay, so I want us to write it down as clear as we can. What we are believing God for this summer. Hold on. Just keep going. I'm just thinking of myself here. So write it down. Who's not clear? Most of us hopefully have that thing right on the top of our minds. Because remember, you know, I told you some of the things the Lord wants to do this summer are things that we've been struggling with for a really long time. Things that have just been in our lives kind of just persistent. We've almost kind of become resolved to it or hopeless it could ever change or whatever, right? Some of these things we've lived with for so long, we've taken it on as our identity. So don't be afraid of the giant. It's staring you right there in the face. Amen? All right. Okay, well, let's just sit here for a moment. Who's not clear? Raise your hand if you're not clear what you, what you feel the Lord is either helping you decide or yours deciding. If you're not clear, raise your hand. I want everybody here to be clear. Everybody clear? If Jesus is standing right there in front of you right now. Tracy, what do you want me to do for you? Now, remember, you don't have to do all 50 things at once. He's saying pick one and you can go back. This isn't your only opportunity to receive from God. Yes, Dustin. Well, it's got to be a smart goal. Well, think about it, though. Jesus always put a time frame. He didn't... I mean, faith Faith is now. I mean, faith tells it when. Uh, you know, I mean... It's just, it's, it's not... God is specific. So, yes... Yeah. Okay, that's great, but that's not the lesson we're on right now in the Supernatural series. We are on the lesson, how do you receive from God? And we're on the lesson, what do you want me to do for you? So this isn't about God's future for you. This is about what do you, Tracy, want from God? This is about, son of David, have mercy on me. I got a need, Father. I got a need, Jesus, something I... I, there's something in the covenant that I'm not experiencing, something that Jesus died for me to have that I'm not experiencing. And either we have to have a theology that God is withholding that thing from us or that Jesus actually already purchased it for us. I mean, the boys were fishing, toiled all night and caught nothing. You know, there's just story after story. The widow woman comes to Elisha, 
you know? You know, they'd come to the prophet. I mean, there's a story after story in the Bible of, of people coming to the Lord and receiving from him. Yeah. I mean, if you're sick, God better show you a future with you healed. You know, I mean, we, it's like healing sometimes is the easiest place to go. Sometimes, I'm not saying it's the easiest necessarily to receive, but at least for those of us that have been walking with the Lord for more than five minutes, we know that God's will is to heal. And it's always God's will to heal. Sickness is never his will. He's not using it to teach you something. I mean, just we, we've, we're established in that. But everything else we get willy-nilly about. You know, we think, okay, well, I don't know. We just, we just aren't as maybe settled. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, pray this to the way to the Father. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the only difference between us and anybody else that's further along is the way we think. The only difference between our ministry and Jesus' ministry is the way that he thinks. The only difference between our results and Jesus' results is the way that he thinks. And his intimacy with the Father and his ability to follow instruction, whatever. You know, it just, just, that's the difference here. And I just know for this particular summer, supernatural summer series, this is what we're on. We're on breakthrough. So pick one. Pick a breakthrough that you know Jesus purchased for you to have. And then, right, we're going we're gonna to receive it. We're going to receive it. And then, you know what? Whatever, he's, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Just whatever he tells you to do, do it. Let down your nets. Fill up the water pots. Go wash seven times. Or... It, or if he doesn't tell you to do it and you're like the one with the issue of blood, if I can just touch his garment, I mean, you know, I mean, there's not necessarily rules to this thing. It's about intimacy and it's about focus. It's about focus. It's about focus. I mean, that's why distractions are one of the, one of the biggest tactics of the enemy. Just to get you distracted with all kinds of nonsense. What, just anything. He'll use anything. I mean, we had a stupid dog fight this week. I mean, you know, just anything. He'll use anything to get your focus off of what you're about to break through in. Because here's the thing. If you break through, who's stealing from the enemy now? Who's stealing from who now? And the enemy sure doesn't want you getting this. Because he, he wants to keep your stuff. He wants to stay in your body. He wants to keep you focused on you. He doesn't want you operating out of a, a, a sonship mentality. He wants you to stay an orphan. He didn't want you to have any money. You might bless somebody. You might build a kingdom with it. You might do something that changes somebody's life. You might actually display that God's a good God. You might actually, right, display the character of your dad. And he's just too busy trying to slander him and blame him and accuse us. 
Okay, now back it up with scripture. And I'll ask Holy Spirit, what's my scripture? You know, I had a couple when I was standing on my babies. I mean, there was a, I had about three. One was that he makes the, you know, the barren woman to be the joyful mother of children. That one really kind of anchored it in. You know, but I knew, I knew barrenness was under the curse. I mean, I could go a lot of different places and see that this is not God's will. That I'd been redeemed from the curse. That was another one. And that I'd not been given a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. That fear thing. So I had about, you know, two or three that were just anchoring under what I was visualizing, what I was meditating, what I, what I was seeing, what I was receiving. Right? Because that, that helps, that's, that's faith there. You're getting the word and you're, 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 this is the truth. And so you're anchoring your hope. You're anchoring your hope to the word of God. And so, you know, I, even while Rachel was just up here giving her little, t- you know, because I knew the Lord told me, I got my scripture. It's not a new one. I just forget it. I forget that he's given me this, he's given me this scripture for two years. But that's what happens, right? We get distracted, we get off track, we just, we just don't focus. Sometimes the best thing that can happen in our lives, even though it's the worst thing that can happen in our lives, is our circumstances just get to the place where you don't have a choice but to focus. I mean, that was kind of how it was with the kids because I'm pregnant and I'm under attack. So, I mean, I didn't have really any choice, but I mean, this was life or death for this child. So the circumstances dictated that I deal with barrenness and the image in my my heart. And so sometimes, you know, the circumstances that we we, we find ourselves in, while they may be the extreme circumstances or an extreme fight or an extreme battle, that's the very place that breakthrough happens. It happens in the storm. It happens. That's where the fight is. And that's why I said, you know, the Lord was saying, you're not anointed to run. You're anointed to face the giant. It's kind of like when you, when you start to pray for someone, you know, that anointing doesn't kick in until you open your mouth. You can feel so unspiritual, tired, blah, blah, blah. But the moment you start praying, the moment you start, you know, going against whatever's going on, that's when that thing kicks in. Right? Don't wait for the feeling. Ah, shakura se tata de kisototorokosa. Sheke baba se totorokosa. How many of you have been just fighting just like hopelessness in a particular area? Hopelessness. If you've been fighting hopelessness, I just want to kind of see your hands. Okay. All right. Well, we just... Well, the very first thing I, I really, I really am getting here that it is an attack on your mind. It is an attack on your mind, and I tell you. Arresting your thoughts 
You know, that, that whole idea of taking your thoughts captive is the idea that you're arresting your thoughts. Just like the police officer, right? You're just like, freeze. Right? Thoughts freeze. Right? And because that, that hopelessness is attempting to just to paint a picture of your future. It's hijacking. It's a hijack of your future. It's a, it's an atten- it's a hopeless picture. It's a hopeless future. And so that I just arrest that. It's just arresting that. So let me just pray. In the name of Jesus, I just take authority over that spirit of hopelessness. God has not give us a, given us a heavy and burdened and failing spirit. The enemy just wants us to faint in our minds so that we will faint in our, our, our bodies and faint in our circumstances. But we just take authority over hopelessness. And we just release new thoughts, new visions, new... new yeah, new imaginations and new ways of thinking. Higher ways of thinking. Higher ways of thinking. And we just push, just pause on that program, that hopelessness program. We just push pause on that so that the voice of the Lord can be heard. So that the voice of God can invade your thoughts. And so, Lord, I just release your voice right now, whatever you want to speak into that right now, that place of hopelessness. What is the lie that they are believing? What is the lie? You get a lie, just yell it out. What's the lie? Things aren't ever going to change. That's one I heard. Well, Lord, what's the truth? What's the truth? Somebody share with me. What are they hearing? You hear a name. No? Well, listen. What are you hearing? Father, what do you want to speak to Amy? What are you hearing, Heath? What are you hearing, Becky? You're what? You're taught by me. Awesome. Did you get the lie, Heath? Okay, well, get, throw one out. He's not going to do what he says he's going to do. All right. Well, Holy Spirit, what do you say to that? What do you say, Heath? <laughs> well, clean it up for us. Bull. 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 Bull cocky. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, yeah. So, Aim, what'd you hear? Focused? All right. Okay. Well, we just release focus to Amy, Father. We just take authority over every attack against her focus. Yeah. And so, Lord, we just thank you that that's what I mean by interrupting your thoughts. When that thing comes, I mean, because it is, it's a string of lies. The lies you can't hear? No, it's just, I wasn't even realizing I was feeling hopeless. He said that, and then 
Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So, what's the lie? So, Holy Spirit, what's the lie that's anchored in there and stole our hope? It's not, it's not going to be creative. You know, the devil doesn't have creative lies. They're always the same. Either accusing God or accusing you. I mean, he's not that bright. There you go. It's too complicated. It's too much work. It's too complicated. Oh, this sounds too easy over here. There you go. Well, all right. So what's the truth, Holy Spirit? Well, I wasn't asking you. I was asking Holy Spirit. No, you can hear it. But don't think you got to know it. You just got to hear whatever he says. He's talking. Holy Spirit, you can tell Amy anything. She's your girl. Well, focus on the Lord, Amy. Just focus on... Jesus' sweet face. Okay. All right. You just focus on Jesus' sweet face and what he's saying because he's got lots of good things to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, this, this process, why am I taking time to do this? Why am I taking time to do this? Because unbelief is just a series of lies. Unbelief is a series of lies that we have believed to be true. I mean, that's all you're doing. I mean, you're just confronting lies and replacing them with truth. That's all unbelief is. It's unbelief is just a lie that we believe to be true. Right? That's all unbelief is. It's just wrong belief. We believe a lie. Right? And so hopelessness comes from just, they're just, it's lies. They're an, hopelessness is anchored in lies, just like hope is anchored in the truth. Hope comes from truth. The truth gives hope. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's just kind of go stick here for a minute. I feel the Holy Spirit on this one. Just... What are some of the lies that we have believed that have held this stronghold, that have built this stronghold of unbelief in our life? Why haven't we already had the breakthrough? What do we believe? What are some of the lies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of the process, I mean, this is a good deal. I mean, it's really just partnering with the Holy Spirit to confront the unbelief in our life. And here's the thing. When you hear the truth, you know, truth is just not, 
a fact. Truth is a person. I mean, this is when Jesus shows up and Holy Spirit comes, he's the spirit of truth. I mean, when they release the truth, the truth comes with the power to, to believe. And you may not just need to hear it once, but you, I mean, the truth that you know, that I know, sets us free. Right? Remember the scripture, it says, and you shall know the truth. Yeah, let's go to that. So the truth sets us free. In John 8, 32, it says, in the New Living Translation, this is 31, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Now that's, I don't like that translation very much. English Standard Version says this way, if you abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. And it says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, when do you, when do you know the truth? When you abide in his word. Now, I know the Bible is his word. I get that. But specifically, I believe Jesus, in the context here, Jesus was not telling them to go look at their Bibles. Because they didn't have a Bible to go look at. Okay? Nor did the church in Acts, right? I mean, church then was very different than it is now. I'm not discounting the Bible. I'm elevating your conversations with God. I'm elevating what God is speaking to you. Abide in what he's speaking to you. You know, because, yes, think about it. Me going from miscarriage to having babies was absolutely grounded in the word. But I didn't get the victory because of what the word said. I got the victory because of what God was speaking to me. In the context of the word, yes. But he was leading and guiding me into all truth. He was telling me what to abide in. He was giving me the scriptures to to meditate on. He was giving me the imaginations. He was doing that. So when Jesus says, abide in my word, I mean, what is the Lord speaking to you? I mean, I, I was sitting down before tonight just letting the Lord, and he's spoken some things to me. He will frame the context of what's going on in our lives. He will help you understand where the battle is and how to, how to stand in that, what to think about, what to see, what to say. That's why I love Romans eight fifteen in the Message Bible because it's what's next, Papa? What's next, Papa? What's next, Papa? Those that are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God, not those that read their Bible. Those that memorize Scripture. It doesn't say when you memorize Scripture, you're a son of God. Not that there's a darn thing in the world wrong with memorizing Scripture. My kids memorize a verse a week at school, and we love it. Thank God the Word of God's in their hearts. I mean, hallelujah, you want that thing to come out when you're... I mean, I'm so in love the Word of God. But this is a relationship. 
And it is a person who is our redeemer. It is a person who is our deliverer. It is a person who bore our sins. And Jesus Christ is a real person. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is alive. He speaks. He moves. He can be seen. And he is still in the business of answering our requests like he did with blind Bartimaeus. He is still still our healer. He is still the one that is giving us instructions. Amen? So I lead these conversations with what's the lie? What are, what, you know, you say, Lord, help my unbelief. Well, he probably should start talking. If you're going to ask that, Lord, help my unbelief. Well, then maybe you need to let him help. And it's not to make it complicated. It's a relationship. It's not complicated when you're just having a relationship with God. I mean, if it's a complicated relationship, then we need to think through who we think Jesus is because I don't think Jesus is dramatic drama. I don't think our relationship with Jesus is drama-filled. You know what I'm saying? Some of these relationships are like you're just wishing you could read a book. But that's not Jesus. Jesus is, is he's easy to talk to. Man, he knows your thoughts before you think them and your words before you speak them, so you really don't have to do much. You can just throw him a thought. Right? You can, you can ask him, what am I thinking? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, he's non-judgmental. He comes right down there in the middle of your unbelief, and he doesn't get mad at you for it. He just says, okay, let's come on over here. Let me show things. Look at the way I look at it. He brings the light. So the other part of your homework was getting clear about what you wanted, having Holy Spirit, and you see it, receive it. And then just it was just really about relationship. Okay, Lord, what are we going to do? What do you, do you need me to do something? you want me to believe? Do you, what do you, do you need to do something? Do you not need to do anything? What's next, Papa? What's next? Sometimes what's next is the most unspiritual stuff. Take a nap. Go on to the other side, Jesus. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. You know, he, he, I think God likes, he's not, he's not drama, he's not a drama queen, but I do think he likes things dramatic. You know, waiting three days before Lazarus came out. I mean, you know, that was, that was a lot of building up the scene, right? I think he enjoys a good miracle. Walking on the water over to the disciples, they think he's a ghost. I think he just gets, I mean, I'm not saying he's, he might get a little kick out of that. You know, just spooking the disciples. Have no fear, it is I. You know, but I mean, he doesn't have to do that. Right? Yeah. And the righteousness of Jesus is so incredibly disarming. You know, he just was, he, he just, man, just, just righteous to a, just made the Pharisees crazy. That righteousness that he walked in, just, boy, just, they, they just, you're blas- that's a blasphemous thing to say. Who do you think you are to make yourself equal to God? And, 
You know, he just, I mean, you know, think about it. He was so bold. He just went and stole, stole somebody's donkey. Tell him the Lord has need of it. I mean, you know, never think about that. You know, I mean, you just don't think about how bold Jesus was. And how much he just was always upset in the apple cart. He's not a little meek little, you know. He ruffles feathers. He ruffles feathers. So I feel like some of our feathers are going to get ruffled, but in a good way. In a good way. Shake us out of some unbelief. Wake us up to the ways that we've been acting like a victim or waiting on God or thinking of wrong theology or blaming ourselves or making it about us. When I say making it about us, I mean just thinking that it's not about what Jesus did. Okay? Amen. Yeah. Right. He wanted to know exactly what he wanted. Yeah. How many of you recognize that, you know, fear is one of the biggest things we're actually battling? You know, at the end of the day, it's just a lot of times it's just about fear of some kind. And, you know, God loves us too much to just let us stay fearful. Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, that's active. It's coming after it. I think the Holy Spirit is relentless against the things that hinder love in our lives. Just relentless about that. And he wants everyone here to actually experience what it means to be the beloved. What does it mean to be my beloved? And if we really believe we're his beloved, what in the world would he be holding back from us? You know, Romans says if he freely gave us his son, he gave us Jesus. If he gave us Jesus, what else in the world is he going to withhold from us? What else could he give us that has any comparative value to Jesus? He already gave us the best. Amen? So, what does this look like practically? What does it look like practically to focus? Right. So it's bringing your focus back to what God said. So every time your mind wanders or you fall off or you're, you know, back over here and this, it's the Holy Spirit reminding you and bringing you back on what to be thinking about, what to be, what to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing it through what he said, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and some of us, it may be, you know, I, I kind of was narrowing it down the last week or two. Like, okay, you know, it's, I kind of had this generic thing that I wanted God to do, kind of. But it's been a process for me of getting specific, All right? So based upon that, now I feel like I have some next steps. Okay, now I'm specific. Now, but I, I think I'm even supposed to get real, real specific. So, you know, but it's, it's listening to the Lord. On, it's, this is a daily deal. 
This is, a, this is partnering with God in a moment-by-moment basis. So this is like, you know, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, <laughs> throughout the day, it's bringing your focus back to this. Awesome. Well, I, I, the other thing I'm really feeling the Lord just kind of breathing on a little bit right now as we kind of wrap up tonight you know, if you haven't, if you kind of got out of the practice of journaling or writing down the things that you're hearing God say, uh, I feel like if you've never done that before, it doesn't really matter. I, I, but I do feel like God has some things he's wanting to speak. And so we do need to just spend some time listening. And it's good to have a pen in your hand when he starts talking. Yeah. Yeah, well, just I just felt like there's some things that he's really wanting to speak and say and um, just come expecting him to speak and to talk. Well, we do forget it. We think we won't, but, I mean, you know, like I said tonight, he's been giving me the same scripture for two years, and I forgot it. And then you say it again, and you're just like, well, but, you know, we do. We, we're busy people. we got things going on. So I just feel like this week we got, you know, we just... There's just some things he's wanting to speak, even about the breakthrough, even about the things that you're asking him for. And uh, gosh, I I just also just really sense a ministry to emotions. Feels like there's some things that we've been going through that have just been emotionally draining. That's you. Raise your hand. Just had emotional things just going on with, you know, just draining, you know. Well, good for you, Ray. Pray for us. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, just, I just, but I feel like there's a, a ministry to our emotions that God wants to, to do. And I, I think that's part of this, just even stepping into Him and just experiencing that union because I just feel like there's going to be some emotional release, just that emotion, that ministry to our emotions. And um, how many of you know we have a high priest that understands? Jesus is a God who's experienced the realm of emotions that we feel. Every emotion that we've ever felt, Jesus has felt. And so he understands, and he's wanting to bring comfort. The Holy Spirit's wanting to bring comfort. And so, Lord, we just release ourselves into that place this week of intimacy with you, of rest in you. We release ourselves into encounters with your goodness, with your peace. Uh, We thank you that we're just, I mean, not only are we receiving breakthrough from you, Lord, but I thank you that we're receiving ministry from you. Thank you that you minister to us, that you are ministering to us. We always think we're ministering to you. But Lord, I thank you that you didn't come to be served, that you came to serve, that you wash our feet, you... You took on our humanity. You took on our brokenness. You took on our weakness. You took on, you're taking our burdens. Our yoke is easy. We're like floating in the ocean. You just are wanting to take the heavy things from us. And so, Lord, we just give you permission to take them. We release them to you, Lord. And and just, Lord, just, we ask you for grace just to be with you this week and receive ministry. We thank you for encounters with your love and with your peace. Thank you, Lord. We just receive words from you this week, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that every lie is being absorbed <laughs> by your goodness. Thank you. Yeah, just life. We just we just receiving life in you, Lord. The life that is in you. The life that is in you. Yeah. And I just think for some of us, um, this is just I feel like the Lord's saying, you know, just rest. Physical rest. There's some physical rest that some of us just need to physically rest. physically rest whatever that looks like give yourself permission to do the thing that you know you think is being lazy or being irresponsible or you know if you're in that place of the Lord speaking to you to rest rest be obedient (laughs) and rest you know he's going to tell you when to get up from rest but there's a rest And there's a rest for the people of God that is in him. So rest in him too. Don't physically rest, but rest in him. And so, Father, I just bless every person that's here tonight, Lord, the people that are listening via the podcast. I just bless them, Father, with your manifest presence, with your glory, with your goodness, with your beauty, with your smile, with your song with your wink, with your joy, with your rest and peace. And I thank you, Lord, that this is a supernatural summer and that you're leading us into massive, massive breakthrough. You're leading us into this. It's like a battle, but it's not a battle. It's a, it's a rest. It's a fully being persuaded living from that place of heaven's imagination. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen.